Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the Alt-Brow Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Decker. We've got an exciting announcement to make. This summer, we will be launching an Indiegogo campaign to help get our Modest Barrel program off the ground. We will be focusing on mixed culture fermentations and blending small batch releases for local distribution in Northern California. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at altbrow.com or Instagram or our Twitter page. At the top of each page is a link to our pre-launch page where you can sign up for email alerts to stay up to date on upcoming tasting events, and you'll be the first to know when the campaign goes live. On today's episode, we have the return of winemaker Krista Scruggs. You might remember her from episode two of the podcast. A lot has happened since then, including features by Vice, Cork Report, and Wine Magazine. Alongside her sat her mentor, acclaimed winemaker and writer Deirdre Heakin. She was recently nominated for a James Beard Award for her work with La Garagista Wine in Vermont. We sat down the day before Brumaire, a big event in the natural wine world held here in Oakland, California. Over the next 90 or so minutes, you'll hear us talk about upcoming projects as well as the subjects of farming, mentorship, creative endeavors, and the economics of craft beverages. We enjoyed some grape-infused beers by Jester King in Austin, Texas, Shady Oak Barrel House in Santa Rosa, California, and Sour Cellars in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Thank you for tuning in. Reach out to us on social media and let us know what you think. And if you have any potential guests you'd like us to reach out to, thanks again. Enjoy. Put your headphones on. Come on. Oh, okay. Fancy. Oh yeah. I told her I was gonna play this song because you you've turned her into a Gilmore girl. <laughs> oh my goodness. I I'm That's still hilarious. I am still rebellious. I'm purposely wearing Converse and yeah. So you you're being a punk. Cal- calculated in your rebellious. That's not so rebellious. Whatever. Like, I have to like make sure I have the right outfit. Yeah. Yeah. That's very punk of you. Just just gotta look. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Christo, welcome you. back. Thank You're you episode for two of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Which lot, is right a before, I think I was it was say, right before no, I went to Texas and I met know, Deirdre. Yeah, this that's is what right. the whole conversation was. It was like we were on yeah. the way here was, yeah, episode two of this podcast is you, you were in a completely different place. And I, I was saying it seemed like that was so long ago. I know. But. It was not that long ago. It was only two and a half, two and a half years ago. And actually, that podcast was part of your interview with me, like quote unquote. Yeah, you did. Send, I think we sent it. Yeah, you sent you sent yeah. it to me because I had a bunch of questions. Right. And Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So we are coming full, full circle, circle this is, baby. I have chills. It's so weird. It's pretty funny. So yeah. for uh, my beer drinking listeners uh, in Oakland, there's an event called Brewmare. It's a gathering of uh, natural wine producers from all over the globe. Um, and Krista, if you've listened to episode two, was going to go work uh, harvest both in Texas and then in Vermont. Correct? That was... Uh, yeah, I think I just... I don't know if it was already... We, we had, I didn't secure Deirdre yet, right, but I think... we were talk- talking oh, okay. about... Yeah. I think Texas yeah. was, was, happening. was happening no matter what. I knew I was leaving. I right. knew that yeah. I was going to go and not basically I think I remember sitting on your floor and, and telling you guys like I don't think I'm going to be coming back to Oakland after yeah. my journey and 
and yet, mm. and yet here you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I d yeah, I never the thought prodigal the daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh my God, Zaffa! So let's not give everyone the update. Uh, so we, tell us about your what happened. Like from that point, uh, what's, hap what's happened with you the last year and a half, two years? So I, after that podcast, um, I arranged to go work harvest in Texas with Dan McLaughlin of Robert Clay Vineyard. And um, I think shortly after that podcast, Deirdre was in town for Brumaire and did a pouring at Oak, at Ordinaire. Um, and then where I was in my life at that point in time, which, you know, I, like I said, I remember sitting on the floor talking to you and Tamara having an extreme anxiety attack <laughs> and saying, I, you know, I, I, I just knew um, that I needed to, I didn't think this was everything was going to fall into place as they have, but as it has, but I knew that I was going to be leaving and becoming a winemaker. Um, I knew I needed to leave Oakland and California to do that. And so um, made the plans with Texas. And then coincidentally, uh, Deirdre was pouring at uh, Ordinaire and I knew that. And I went there with the same plan, went there knowing that I wanted that to be part of my plan in regards to working harvest with her. And that came. You mean I was duped? Yes. <laughs> I bamboozled you. Yeah. <laughs> and that came. And then so I, Texas, and then went to Vermont after. I received a job offer in Texas. And then I also received a job offer with Deirdre. And I called Tim. I'll never forget there was the, we were, uh, we were leaving um, Virgin's Vineyard, and at that point in time, our good friend Christina, who was working with uh, Deirdre and Caleb, uh, had made a decision that she was going to be um, moving on to different ventures in her career. And um, on the ride home, Deirdre informed me of that. And it, it was basically a light bulb in both of us that, well, <laughs> you, I mean, now there's a position here. And, um, but I had made my commitment with Texas and Deirdre didn't want to step on Dan's toes because uh, Dan had did come, did come out and um, help during that harvest and you know, have a, build a built a relationship yeah. with Deirdre and Caleb. And we you know, they considered him a friend as well. And, um, and I, in that moment, I already knew that I was going, my mind was already made you up, already but made I, I played it. I called and I called him. I, 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 I really, I, you're the only person I talked to. And I yeah. told yeah. Deirdre, I was like, I didn't talk to Tim, but my mind's already made up. Like yeah. I was, so I played it cool with Deirdre. I'm like, you know, I'm going to talk to Tim and think about it. I'm going to think about it. I need 24 hours. <laughs> and my mind was already made up. Yeah. And, and then when I, the first day I walked in the morning, walked into, uh, their tiny kitchen. I said, I'm, 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 I'm staying here. I'm going to take this opportunity and, and the rest is, well, I guess, history. Right, don't, so right. There's more history. There's more going on. I mean, oh yeah. 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 That story doesn't stop there. A lot yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, the story doesn't stop there. And so, you know, I, it, Deirdre and I spent a lot of time. So Lagardista is located in Barnard, Vermont. And, uh, that's where the home vineyard and farm is and winery. And then there are two other vineyards in Virginia and, and West Addison. So it's an hour and a half drive from one vineyard, from the home vineyard to the other vineyards. And during harvest, we spent a lot of time in the car talking and connecting. And I, and I, th and it, 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 I don't know if we literally said it out loud, but it was known that I was going to, I, I was, I made it clear that I wanted to, at least I think I made it clear that I was, yeah. what I was going to, Wanted to produce on my own. Yeah, no, that you you were clear about that, and that this was part of the journey to get there, 
And, you know, I think you thought that it was going to be a little bit longer yeah. journey. <laughs> this was, it was like a five-year plan, basically. I mean, yeah, you know, right. like, it, right. it, it, I was going right. to basically, you know, uh, work under Deirdre and Caleb as long as possible. Just, you know, as we're all students and I think in any yeah. fermentation field and, and, and just in life in general, students and I, I felt that I was the one of the luckiest students, especially mm-hmm. in the new world, to be able to, to somehow get paid and work under Deirdre and Caleb. Um, I felt like the luckiest person in the world. And, and so I was going to take advantage of that, meaning work for them as long as I possibly can. And, um, <laughs> and that, that ended very quickly. <laughs> uh, to five-year plan turned into... The things, one year the one plan, plan and the all plan. these uh, opportunities kept on falling and, you know, opening themselves up to me. And I because I think with having, you know, having the mentors that I do mm-hmm. have and also friends who I've you know been able to consult with, I've been able to make, I think, the right decisions. Thus, I now am. It's the decision you made. That's all that matters at this point. Yeah, it is what it is. And we're doing, <laughs> you're going to do it. Exactly. So. Well, and something that. You know, Krista and I have talked about a lot, and I certainly talk about a lot with Caleb or anybody that who's <laughs> sitting down at our table. <laughs> we talk about this, this idea of the path of least resistance, which right. in American culture, for so- somehow that became a really sort of negative thing. Like you were lazy, that you're right. just taking the quote unquote path of least resistance, not working to your utmost or um, make, making the right or making choices, just letting them kind of, just kind of following. But actually, I think the path of least resistance is the path that each of us should be on. And it's in, the organic It's the path. organic it's path. The, and it's yeah. exactly the There's one. This idea that we have to fight for everything. Mm-hmm. And right. Like, and oh. hit our head against mm-hmm. the wall. And it's like, no, the one where all the doors are opening, as Krista said. And that's really been a year of that for you. Yeah. You know, where every step of the way it's like oh here is this and if it's leading you closer to where you want to get uh of course you should take that path i think it's also important maybe to what you know um while taking that path of least resistance like do it with like respect and like i know that chris is doing it right because although you you could say well it's the easiest way to go it's the path of least resistance but if that doesn't mean you're going to put out good results right so right. you have to do it with like you know intention and that, with respect to, exactly. to whatever it is that you're doing like exactly. just because it's the path that opened up doesn't mean that everything's gonna be fantastic no, from it, that point. No, and it hasn't exactly. been there are bumps exactly yeah and i you know i mean and i think if anything my first vintage is exactly it doesn't did not look like what i thought it was going to look like in the context of the fermentations that I did in regards to the fruit that I ended up working with, um, the fruit that I thought was going to work with, uh, what I am releasing first and what I'm not releasing. There's wines that I've, you know, there's a wine that I'm in Texas that I've made that I'm choosing to uh, release later because it's not ready, um, in my opinion. And there, even to tomorrow, there I was supposed to be pouring six wines and I'm pouring five because one of them I don't feel is 
ready. No, you got to do it. Uh, but right. yeah, and I'm right. not just taking that's advantage right. of like the opportunity. I'm, I'm, I, I like to think because of also the guidance of my mentors, the mentors that I've had, and particularly Deirdre, that to f- to know that it's okay that just because the door is open, also don't, doesn't mean I have to walk through it. Well, right, exactly. And then there's also the idea of adaptation, and mm-hmm. uh, I think this has been a really great first vintage for you because it was all about adaptation. It's a lesson right away. Yeah. And we can we can start something with a pre- preconceived idea and that's a really bad way <laughs> to right. because it's never going to work out that way. Yeah. And you know like you just said you had had it wasn't that you were starting with a preconceived idea you weren't you were open to adaptation obviously but uh, it really showed that wow it's totally something other than where where you thought it might go. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. That's what's so cool about it and what makes it exciting and full of energy. And So your brand, Zaffa. Zaffa. Zaffa, excuse yeah. me. And okay. uh, you're also going to be doing some um, cider, like apple co-ferments, correct? I have done, yeah. Oh, yeah that's what I'm pouring. Oh, so you're pouring those tomorrow. Yeah, yes. so that's what you were saying is the idea that even the fruit you're uh, using has changed. Right. Right. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about what's going on, um, both of you, with uh, co-ferments and, and, and what's going on with cider? And, and I know that's something you guys are both working on. Yeah. 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 Um, you could go first. I mean, because what I... My fermentations were inspired by... Uh, fermentation that she's some that ideas she, that, that, she, we, that yeah, we've already that we've implemented that inspired me to do so I think she's just started yeah. I can see where I went from there yeah. so um, our first cider forays were <laughs> I thought cider was going to be my quick and dirty uh, early release uh, wine um, in terms of uh, we talked a little bit in the car about talking yeah. eventually about economics Uh that as part of our program, you know, cider was a traditional uh, brew from New England. It would be great to have that as part of our lineup. We grew apples, right. we grow apples. Um, and I thought, okay, you know, most cider that I know of gets released in the first year. Uh, super tasty, light, fun. That was our whole plan. Uh, that plan very quickly <laughs> fell by the wayside because my mentor in cider, who is a, an old farmer uh, who just makes cider for his family, um, and it has been passed down for generations, they essentially make what is called a solera. And uh, they're not doing that so much with intention, like one would for sherry, but what they do is they have their barrel of cider they draw it down over the course of the year. And whether they're from New England or the way harvest just happens, there's always a little bit of cider left in the barrel. So then they add the new vintage onto that barrel, into that barrel. And uh, they do this year after year after right. year. And one of the things he said to me was that, you know, cider gets interesting at year three and it gets good at year six. Wow. Yeah, so that totally messed me up <laughs> and sort of changed my, my approach to cider. At the same time, I was researching uh, different kinds of cider traditions in northern Italy, which is, uh, Italy is a big inspiration for me. And I came across just one reference to a cider called Vined Pum, um, wine and apple. And it was a style of uh, 
cider fermented on grape skins that you found in the Alto Adige, in the Piedmont, in Aosta, um, but had fallen out of favor for a lot of reasons, many of them economic and political. Uh, so nobody really makes it anymore. I've only been able to find one producer, um, actually in the last year, who is still making it. So anyway, that, I thought, <coughs> excuse me, was a really uh, kind of inspiring idea. We were growing grapes. We were growing the apples. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to sort of take this Solera idea um, and ferment it on grape skins as well? So that is what we started to do. And kind of at the same time, I think, um, separate from us, there were some other cider producers in the Northeast who were having similar notions. Um, one in particular is Aaron Burr. He does a, a cider wine ferment blend uh, with a, uh, I believe it's called uh, Apinet or Alpinet. Uh, we had our blend. Uh, Krista was really excited about that. And uh, when she was presented with these, all these different kinds of fruits, not just grapefruits, uh, it seemed like a really interesting way to go. Um, Fable Cider, Fable Fermentary, um, they've been starting to work with our skins uh, to do some fermentations on skin, but they're also now making wine, so they've got a little cross-section happening of co-ferments. Uh, Shaxbury Cider is also working with skins from us and with um, Iapetus, our friend Ethan up in Shelburne. And so they're what I think is really wonderful is that there seems to be this Vermont tradition that is starting um, this very happy marriage between uh, grape and apple. And I'm super excited about what Krista has pursued with it um, because she's got some really <coughs> unique uh, perspectives on the kinds of fruit that she has access to and how those fruits are coming together. Very cool. So you, you've got your own version of, of this kind of concept going. Yeah, I, you know, inspired, you know, by Deirdre and um, and then also having neighbors like Fable Farm um, and seeing what they're doing. Um, I was able to take that. This is I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, honestly. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. I just knew. Um, so I was the plan the plan um, using bunny airs was I was supposed to hopefully be reclaiming a vineyard uh, in in the city town of village, village town of Brandon. Um, that was a plan. I love that you said city. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a city girl in California right now. <laughs> uh, the, the village of yes. <laughs> Brandon. And um, I, by the time we came, we, I kept, I was in Texas and then came back and went to go check on the vineyard to check on the fruit. And when we, Deirdre, it was Deirdre, Caleb, and who else was with? I think we had a, an intern with us at the time, and we stopped by the vineyard, and it was it was very clear that Japanese beetles had got to the leaves, and photosynthesis stopped, and that fruit was not going to be able to be used. So um, I then uh, I. It was like a week later, we got in a car accident. Yes, yes. <laughs> Blessings in disguise. And that car accident uh, led uh, Deirdre Caleb to connect with a lawyer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like making this <laughs> connect with a lawyer and said lawyer has had a prop has a property, has a property of hundreds of 
apple and pear trees and basically uh, told Deirdre and Caleb, have at it. And so I, well, I was in the winery working while they were visiting. I had a meeting with the lawyer and I get a message from Deirdre. She's like, you're making cider this year. <laughs> yeah, she literally. That is literally what she said. Yeah, it's true. It was pretty funny. We're here for this very serious meeting with the the lawyer, and uh, he says, "Oh, I've got to print out some papers. Why don't you go out and you know look at the pear and apple trees?" And I felt like a kid in a candy store, you know, walking around and like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And I knew that, you know, for for Krista, that some of the fruit. Um, the grape options had were dwindling a little bit. And I was like, this is, this is uh, like manna from heaven. And as we're texting each other, you know, she's like, well, you know, I guess maybe there's a reason we got in this accident because yeah. it brought us to this fruit. And I saw fruit as fruit. I mean, and, and especially yeah. in Vermont, um, I, I think I should be seeing that. I feel it should be not in hindsight, it should be seen that way at all everywhere, but I'm just one of ferment. It wasn't necessarily about, grapes or apples or pears um it was just i just wanted to ferment and treating and cider is wine and and wine is not necessarily in regards to the fruit that you're using right, and, right and, exactly. and, and and i saw it as an opportunity um and also financially it's free <laughs> you know that's yeah. a great thing in regards to apples uh, for right. the most part and also at least in vermont I mean, at least in vermont <laughs> and, right right and well in terms of like the wild the apples because there apples. definitely are you know orchards that are mm -hmm. selling fruit right. but um there and, is a lot of wild fruit out there and you you know you hear this and a lot of producers you know are doing you know lost apple projects like shaxbury um, you know, which they're uh, gathering wild fruit. Fable, you know, started out um, doing just wild gathered fruit and will definitely continue doing that in addition to um, doing uh, farming of their their orchard. But, um, yeah, it's uh, plentiful in Vermont. And wild fruit, you know, equates to, in regards to the farming, well, you're not, I mean, that, if it's wild, it's not going to be touched right. with chemicals. And, right. and then talk right. about, with regards to fruit, the options dwindling, there are not many people who share that ethos, unfortunately, in regards to growing grapes in Vermont. The ethos that we share in regards to farming mm -hmm. um, responsibly and sustainably. So that, right. those options yeah. became to dwindle then too. And, and Deirdre and Caleb's is not also, I I think I want to make it clear that um, Deirdre kids don't have fruit to just give me. <laughs> they, right. They're, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they don't have, you know, yeah. and so. It's only three and, <laughs> and a half hectares. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so when that yeah. presented itself, I was just, I was I really was inspired and, you know, and went into it in the mindset of, you know, vinifying how I would, processing the way I would do wine and I went down a rabbit hole very scared I was so I did <laughs> I was able to get crab apples and uh mixture crab apples and there's a little there's a, a neighbor of Deirdre and Caleb's that have about 20 trees and they allowed me I called well Deirdre mm -hmm. reached out to them and they said they could have those apples um and I am really inspired just you know in, in regards to wine uh, sorry, grape fermentation in regards to skin maceration. And um, and I I try to do research in regards to people doing long uh, mash 
macerations and I couldn't find much information. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to. <laughs> Go <for laughs> and it was, I, there were times I, I, and we had to do a lot of, uh, for, I was at the time still working longer at Gista, we had events in New York. Um, I was away from, the, so it, it went to a long maceration also because I had, there's things I had to do, I had to walk away. There's a lot going there's on. There's a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. And so it was curiosity and also just, you know, been able to manage my time. And there were times path, when the I... path of least resistance. resistance. Well, <laughs> you know, and a lot of that, we talked about that with this harvest, that so much of... Uh, what you do in the cellar is about logistics, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and choices that you make. Um, yes, you're trying to work intuitively with the fruit and what you've been given and what you feel that fruit is trying to say. But a lot of it is just the nitty gritty. This is the way I have to deal with it. Right. Because this is these are the circumstances. Right. And harvest you can't wait. You know, you have to, to do stuff. Right. And uh it just it provides some very creative solutions, I think. Do, and you, do you feel like this kind of goes along? I mean, along with the the path uh, analogy yeah. we've been talking about, uh, you've previously said that um, your early one of your early mentors said, you know, make wine like a peasant. Yeah. You know, we're talking about wild apples. Uh -huh. Yeah. We're talking, about, we're talking yeah. about talking with people in your community and saying, yeah, come on my property and get the apples. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're talking about doing things. Um, not necessarily because some book said it's the best process. It's out of necessity. Absolutely. And so I know that you've um, you've kind of approached your wines. Yeah, I mean, the first year I made wine, uh, I'm going to use rabbit ears here to <laughs> quote unquote officially. Um, my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, a, a gentleman named Bruno Di Conchilis from Campania, in Italy, he said exactly that: make wine like a peasant this first year. And so that means you're going to, you know, hand harvest, you're going to foot crush, you're going to use glass demijohns, you're going to use native fermentation, uh, no additions, um, and, and that's it. If you decide after this that you want to have a grab bag of tools and uh, you're, you want to do other things and you're more experimental, okay, that's fine. But when you start, you're going to start this way, you know, from the bare bones. And that was the way we made wine and cider our very first year. And we haven't changed. Uh, you know, obviously, we, as we learn, uh, we refine and we try and go deeper with these methods each year and learn, you know, some new nuance about them. But the basic bones are, are still the same. Still in the bathtub? Like not in the bathtub, <laughs> not in the bathtub. Uh, we have graduated from the bathtub. <laughs> but that was a great way to start, you yeah. know? And uh, So on the subject of co-ferments, on the subject of Krista's history, not just in Vermont, but in Texas, and talking about people doing things kind of in that uh, peasant uh, lifestyle or, or and, and, you know, doing things... Um, simpler uh yeah i did have i did bring a couple beers uh oh. and put them in my fridge and the first one i want to open is from jester king um Ooh, one of our favorite favorites yeah so yeah. we so, love what them. they're doing yeah, yeah. so i'm gonna yeah. grab that right now i wish everybody could just see the big grin on <laughs> krista's face right now <laughs> i am a happy person yeah, right now she is happy <laughs> for many reasons 
<laughs> you know, the other thing that was, you were talking about the skin maceration and I was thinking about, you know, the Solera idea. I think one of the things that's been really cool about the maceration mm -hmm. is that, um, it seems to be an accelerated version mm -hmm. of the of the Solera. Right. You know, you're getting some of the same flavor profiles that time gives you I would, with cider. I, I'm pissed. I, have, I didn't get to taste. Camilla was telling me about your uh, maceration, your loss. Yeah. And she yeah. was saying, like, I wish I didn't get to taste it. So you right. did... So are you going to do anything, a so, solo version of, or are you going to just keep on doing the Solera method? So or? I think I think we'll keep doing the Solera method, mm -hmm. but one of the things that I'm going to continue doing that developed from this year is actually freezing the fruit, storing it outside, and letting wow. it freeze and thaw, thaw, freeze and thaw, freeze and thaw. Um, and I was nervous about that. Like, every time the thaw came, like, okay, is the fruit going to degrade so right, much? Right. And I remember Christopher... <laughs> came by to pick up i don't know the labeler or something and he's like what you doing with those <laughs> saggy ass looking apples out there on the crush pad are you gonna use those it's like yep take a bite into one and they taste great it's, i mean i just kept concentrating the flavors fucking apples no seriously i am so inspired like from seeing yeah. what you did and then yeah. like that i've well, your experience, what I did experience. Yeah. like yeah it's so inspiring because like you said those excel it's it is a celebrity. You, you, the fact that you Thank can, you. I, I'm, how can I articulate this? That you cannot do that with all fruit. Do that resiliency. It is only makes it even more complex. Fermentation is and is insane to me. Yeah, and I mean, I, what was really interesting uh, in our process this year is we essentially well, we were able to do punch downs with the cider, which was crazy. You're telling me that, yeah. You know, we learned, we had to fine tune how we were gonna press it, um, but but also for us, because we have a really old uh, grinder that is, what, six, 50 years old? Yeah. A German grinder from Caleb's parents, because they make cider every year. And it is not the most efficient. Uh, right. Well, it's, it's efficient, but it doesn't grind down as the um, electric, like right. the electric grinders grind. So we have felt for the past several years that we were missing out on a lot of juice mm -hmm. that um, we could have gotten just because we couldn't get From fine enough. Yeah. yeah, we just couldn't get a fine enough grind. And, you know, being able to <laughs> basically have this applesauce and, you know, we had to do double screens and all this oh. kind of stuff. But we were able to get not only a lot of free run, but also um, just more, more juice um, at the end of the day. So... Um, I'm curious of how your barrel, the, you know, so they're now in their eighth year of, of let's see, of their uh, Solera. Uh, so we started in 2010, so yeah, yeah, this will be eight, yeah. eight vintages. Yeah, eight vintages. So I'm curious to you know do a vertical tasting and then like five years from now to see how now that these now that you're processing it a little different and how that's right, how that's going to change it. Yeah, and and juice, I think yeah. it, I think. I mean, there'll be some changes, but I think it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So the uh, beer yeah, we're drinking this? right now is it's called delicious. Vague Recollection. <laughs> uh, farmhouse Ale, re-fermented with Syrah and Sangiovese grape pomace. Oh, Ooh. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the uh, guys at Jester King um, hmm. are doing some amazing stuff. Beautiful and stuff. There was yeah. recently an interview on Good Beer Hunting uh, where Jeff Stuffings was on there and he was talking about um, it just reminded me of when you were talking about, you know, 
make wine like a peasant because he, yeah. he was saying that they're there's these ideas that they are um, really running this like crazy technical lab process. He's like, we just throw like a base wort into barrels and we, we try different cultures and then we let them do their thing. And then what we have from there, then he's like, mm-hmm. it's, he's like, it's not as complicated as people think. And he, he was, he almost said it kind of like embarrassed. Like he's like, people think we're doing something <laughs> right with and, so much forethought. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and there's an interest, there's some interesting conversations going on. I mean, I'm sure this is similar to wine and when you, especially when you start talking about um, natural wines versus kind of like bigger mainstream process wines is in beer. You know, I had a conversation with somebody from a very respected brewery. I love his stuff. He makes amazing things, but I was kind of talking about my desire to build a barrel program, uh, get it all going and base my releases on what I get from the barrels and not, and his attitude was like, no, 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 you need to set your intention right from the start. And if it doesn't come out the way, uh, you intended, then, then you're not releasing it. And I said, you know, so we had a little back and forth. Yeah. And so I understand, I think I understand his motivation for that, but, um, I also think that, you know, I think my process and what I'm trying to do is essentially get the best ingredients I can, the best, get my processes, all my ducks in a row and and do things right. And and then this is what I suspect it will, you know, I'd like it in the ballpark. I think uh, instead of saying it's like a fine line, like it has to land on this line, my vision is a little wider. It's more like a freeway <laughs> not even a road it's like it, the, the allowable range is, is here wider, but it yeah. will at least be in this direction and then of course i want to use blending as more of you know some of the the, the you know lambic producers in belgium that i really respect yeah. uh, i respect all of them but it's the ones that really are creating their releases based on what they have in their uh, barrel program and, and blending to to get where you know Instead of saying like this one, I, you know, I don't plan on doing a lot of single barrel releases. Just like right, right, it. right. So, gotcha, gotcha. So I don't know. I mean, how much do you find is like blending part of the process for you, and how much of it do you? I mean, have you had to dump barrels? Have you? I don't. I don't. You know, know what as far as on the natural wine world, like what can go, what can go to a direction where it's it is, you can't release it. Like it's unforgivably. You know, uh, it's a really good yeah. question and a very topical <laughs> question absolutely. right now. Um, because, yes, absolutely. Things can go wrong um, and they do go wrong. But I think one of the things, again, that we spend a lot of time talking about is patience and time. And a lot of things that go wrong just need to work themselves out over time. So we definitely have things that... Um, you know, haven't, that I've stuck under a staircase, you know, and I'm going to see what's going to happen. I mean, I, the thought of like dumping something out, um, even though, you know, I would be good and use it as compost or something like that is so disturbing to me. (laughs) It's painful that um, I sort of figure that it can, it can always be something. Uh, So it might mean blending it. It might mean re-fermenting it. Uh, I think we've been learning that refermentation is uh, a really good method for things that have gone off their 
rails right. uh, and you want to give it a little direction again, um, doing a second fermentation, um, you know, adding more juice and yeast from whatever your fruit source is, right. um, is it has been wonderful, but it is, again, about being flexible and adaptable. And, yes, sometimes you're going to blend things. I mean, Krista should talk in a second about some things that she did with this vintage based on that and Mm -hmm. in response to that. Um, We will do wines that it's really about their expression. You know, in one year they might be 100% of a certain grape variety. The next year they might be 70% of that grape variety and 30% something else, a different variety. Just uh, to tell the story that needs to be told in the most balanced way as Mm -hmm. possible. Um, So I think you've got to be intuitive and you have to respond in the moment. And you can't have these preconceived ideas of what it should be or what it's supposed to be or if it doesn't fit this recipe then we're not using it um having said that i think that they're you know wines are like people and I they say that. Oh. <laughs> I, I was like that's exactly what's going on my mind like we yeah. forget that i mean and, and we'll I'll, I'll talk from at least yeah. wine in the way that we we make we believe wine should be made is that you when something's alive just like a human being you don't the worst thing you could do is try to say in relationship, want it to be something that like, ask it to do something that it shouldn't be. And right, if we treat right. something as we treat wine that is, is alive, then you're going to realize it's going to be nuanced. And there's ways that you have to then shape yourself around it instead of forcing it to shape itself around you. But aren't right. there some people you'd also like to throw in the dumpster? <laughs> I mean, that analogy is under the assumption that I care about people. Well, you, yeah. you set boundaries, yeah. or you, yeah, you, 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 right. you shape your expectations of it. That, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, that's, you know, actually, think, that's true. You re, yeah, that's a good I think that's way what to your ther- my therapist yeah. would tell me to do. Well, I know I, know, I kind of got you into, I don't know if you've read more of his stuff, but like Ram Dass. Yeah. And one of his famous quotes was, uh, you know, look at people like you look at a tree. Yeah, mm. which that's is my favorite quote. You showed this to me. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. to say, when you see a tree that's like kind of gnarly and it's it's reaching for the sun, it's trying to figure things out. You don't say, "What an ugly tree!" Right. right. You right. say, "You say, oh, that's an interesting tree. That's different. That's a different looking tree." Absolutely. But, right. but right. yeah, you it's a tree. So right. with people, people are struggling and they're trying to figure things yeah. out, and you don't. But you, but people judge them for trying mm-hmm. to uh-huh. find light and figure things out. Yeah. And so with wine, I could see it's like, yeah, at least it is a living thing. Right. And I can see that you know, refermentation as a as a possibility, but, yeah. but just, um, you know, you can kind of shepherd it in a one way with a gentle hand. Right. Where exactly. You, you know. Yeah. And if you're yeah. in tune with it, and if you're working with live fruit, meaning, I had a good conversation with actually a, a, a colleague in this industry of mine, uh, just like, <laughs> and um, we're talking about in regards to farming responsibly, sustainably, and if you're not, you're dealing with dead fruit. Thus, you're going to be well, dealing right. with something that's it's dead not, in the cellar, right. too. It's, gonna, yeah. it's not going to be alive in the bottle. Exactly, no, no. exactly. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I was appreciating that conversation with them, and that's, and I, and with that being said, you're living with live fruit. I mean, working with live fruit, and it's it's a living thing. It's going to, then the fermentation is going to go through some funky stage. Sometimes some fun- take yeah. turns that you are not expecting it to take, just like a human yeah. being. And I think our only job is to to listen to that and build mm-hmm. that relationship with Absolutely. it and, and not 
force our ego yes. on to what yeah, we right. think it should be. We that's should let right. it be, and that's. I think that's when the fun really fucking happens. Yeah, when you, just let, yeah. you know, when you relinquish and, that control, and, and to not push it beyond its where it should be, you know. So, in terms of say, uh, well, for example, we had 2015 was a not an easy vintage for us with a lot of rain. Um, one of our wines took a really long time to get itself squared away, um, and we just. I say a really long time, not a terrifically long time, but we just released it um, in the winter of 2017. And in contrast, the same wine in 2016 was ready long before mm -hmm. the 2015. But, and I know like La Stoppa had one of our favorite producers in Italy, they had an issue where they had a wine, you know, two different vintages. The earlier vintage took longer than the next vintage to be ready to share. And they held, well, in their case, they decided to release the later vintage first and then released the other vintage. I've decided to, um, I waited and waited and waited until I felt that 2015 was ready. And now I'm going to wait the 16. It's not going to hurt it to sit mm -hmm. in bottle happily right. um, for releasing it. So you also make decisions like that, you know, because they're, like again, like people, mm -hmm. they're sometimes ready to enter into the world, uh, and others just take more time to mature and right. kind of get their act together. And, and for, yeah, sounds familiar, you know, Krista. You know, <laughs> you know. And, and, and number one, I think a question I was, you know, was asked last night at a friend's uh, tasting thing. Um, you know, a question I've been asked is about where is my Texas wine? Because that's where I went first, and that's where my my vintage mm -hmm. started, and. The wines I think people were expecting for me pouring tomorrow were gonna be my wine from wine wine from Texas that I'm pouring all wines from Vermont. And I have no problem saying that, you know, I'm going back to Texas in the next couple of weeks and that wine that I made there, I'm going to just empty put back into vat, this all in bottle, put it back into a vat and I'm gonna do a re, uh, champagne method of that wine because it's not ready. And I feel like that is the best way for that wine to be. And instead of releasing something, it's like our only job, I think, with each other, just like to make, continue the correlation of how we treat each other as humans and same with wine is to set ourselves up for success and mm -hmm. facilitate yeah. a, a space for us to all to thrive. Otherwise, you're all going to be miserable if you're expecting that we were not aligned for us. To thrive. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Yeah. And so in regards to wine, I think, once again, that's our only job. And for me, if I were to release that wine, I'm not setting it up for success. success. Right. I, and it's, it would be me just to release something, just to release it. And I have no shame in saying that, you know, how the fermentations, how the fermentation ended is not where I ideally, right. I think it's showing its best. And the only job I can do is give it another chance. And then context, I feel the best thing would be a champagne method. Yeah. And that's why I'm really, and, but the, the wines that I've made in, 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 in Vermont are ready now. <laughs> and I did not think that was going to happen. I thought I was going to be pouring possibly my Texas wine first, but right. to the whole point, it is, it's yeah. important. It's ready. ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's ready when it's ready. So, um, there was a, there's a beer author named Randy Mosier who has said, you know, he kind of quotes the, an old saying 
that you know wine is the beverage of the gods because it's you ultimately your is mother nature take, you gotta let it do its thing, and he says that beer by contrast then is the beverage of man. We you oh. get to control oh interesting the, right the, yeah the, the you know your grain recipe your hops when you throw them in how much of everything yeah any spices or fruits you add if is it barrel aged what kind of barrel all those things, um, of course there are a lot of really great. Um, mixed culture, barrel-aged breweries like Jester King and some of the other two more bottles I have in the fridge we're going to try. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of those the, those brewers have, I would say, as much or more in common with winemakers than with the, felt the rest of the beer industry. But my question is actually, do you feel like when you hand over, when you let the wine do what it wants to do, be what it wants to be, and do you do you feel any loss as far as as an entrepreneur and as a, cool. um, a basic create creativity as an like mm-hmm. using using this as an outlet for your creativity? Do you feel like because you don't you're not you don't control it that do, do you feel any like separation there? That's a good question. Between the business side of it and the the creative side of it, or well, like as far as like just the fact that you're do you know. You know, I guess it goes down to intention of when you started. What was right, what was your right. goal? If your goal is to f- is to present the fruit as it is and as it wants to be, or like for you know, I think brewers tend to be more like I I'm I'm I can speak on my own yeah. and say that I'm looking for a creative outlet. Well, I, like, I see what you're in, saying. Living yeah, in more in like yeah. that city environment. It's like yeah, it's you want to. There's, right. There's so there's so many things you don't control <laughs> that <laughs> you want to have some element of control and, yeah. and, and, and creative outlet but at the same time the stuff I find beautiful is the stuff where I'm, I'm maybe kind of working with nature I like again shepherding it with a gentle right, hand with towards, a gentle hand towards versus, an idea uh, y- so you're yeah. basically asking like for example with you beer you separation you're, of as a brewer you're more or less some are working with the recipe and then as working making wine the way there's, that no recipe, there's, there's yeah. a recipe and you're really yeah. pushing yourself to whatever's going to happen in that fermentation right. and do you feel like you're losing your, so when a fermentation goes around that you did not expect it, so you know, for example, I think there are producers who could taste fruit you know, during harvest and can have an idea of what that, right. what how that fermentation is going to turn, turn out. To and, go, but right. if it, and then so you are like, okay, that's going to happen. But that fermentation makes a turn, and then you have to then right. ad- adjust. We were saying, like, let the fermenta- let that fermentation be. Do you lose your creative control in that? I think that's what he's asking. Well, yeah. Right. Well, and I think as Tim was saying too, like, what is your um, what's your intention or mm-hmm. inspiration at the beginning? And definitely, for me, I mean, I come from I come from an art background, um, from uh, creative writing, from dance, from theater. Uh, from graphic art, um, from being the casting director of oh, no, Dirty no, Dancing. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is a fact, you guys. No, 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 no. We're not going down that, Should that I call road. IMDb? <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Sorry, I didn't interject, but it's oh my, my favorite God, thing to do. My Fifteen <laughs> minutes of fame. I have to do with Patrick Swayze and Jennifer <laughs> Grey. <laughs> to hell with the wine. Um, I mean, that's a great movie. It, it, it is a great movie and I feel very I had the privileged. time of my life. 
Sorry, um, I feel right. very privileged uh, to have worked on it. So, so yes, I used to work in film, um, and I was going to be a, a filmmaker. You just took a shit all over her artistic expression. <laughs> She's like, I'm a dancer. I'm a. Yeah. You did dirty dancing. Dance. That's what you did. Yeah. It is my favorite thing to do. Is Remember, shit remember, on oh, no. oh, great. Yes, this is remember, clearly remember, a love relationship. Krista, remember, we're going to dinner tonight. Oh, yeah. So Whatever. remember, I'm going to be with your family later. He's, he's going to make oh, up for any roasting that you, I do. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Um, okay. Sorry, No, no, it's okay. Uh, so back to intention. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, th- I think you make a really good point that some people start out in wine or beer or cider or, you know, any quote-unquote beverage. Right. And you either are interested in the business aspects of it or you are interested in the creative aspects of it. Um, And in wine, you know, you're looking at things like terroir, your relationship with the vines, your relationship to the land, um, to the wine. And, And for me, it was definitely as a creative outlet. And, and I've always been a believer, you know, having been an entrepreneur, you know, having owned a restaurant, having always, um, almost all of my life being self-employed, uh, it, I, I believe that if, if you focus on making and creating the thing that you believe in and uh, means something to you, uh, that will translate to others and from a business perspective you know the idea of if you build it they will come stay focused on that the business side of things will sort itself out and that has been my experience so far um you know most particularly with our restaurant that um you know if we focused on the prime materials the ingredients the cooking the Mm -hmm. wine list uh the idea of hospitality uh and graciousness that uh that people would find us. And, and the same has been true for the wine. It's just like, stay focused. Stay the course. Stay the course, you know. Uh, have you ever yeah. heard the uh, Conan O'Brien story where he said that uh, somebody asked him, like, how long did it take you to make it? And, like, how, you know, what were you doing during that time? He said, you know, the thing is, he's like, you ring a bell. He's like, just keep ringing the bell. He's like, there's all this noise. Everyone's playing instruments. Yeah, all yeah. Everyone's playing something. Everyone's making noise. Mm. And eventually, someone's going to be like, does anybody else hear that bell? Huh. <laughs> yeah. So you just That's keep doing you that just thing. just keep doing like, that thing. And, uh, and don't get distracted by all, like you said, all that other noise. You know, just... And I, and I, think, I think we... As, as species, as human beings, are looking for something, always craving something authentic and looking to hear something that is setting out amongst all that noise. And thus, when there are people doing, whether it be in wine, beer, or any, just do, doing that in their life in general, they you will be seen and heard because people want to hear that. I think we're all seeking for that with, amongst each other, that truth amongst each other, right, someone right. pursuing that, someone being brave to, in a world that it's, I don't think it's, I don't think we live in a society that encourages that. And so when no. people do do it, it's you will be seen if you stick to it. I truly do believe and that. And that is why Dirty Dancing was so successful. <laughs> right. That's right. You actually think I'm joking, but, you know, no, like, is that really nobody like puts baby in, in a corner. corner. Yeah. That, oh, that's I true. Mean, it's true. Okay. You, thematically. Honestly, thematically. Come, yeah, we are coming, yeah, we're coming full circle. Yeah, Holy shit. All right. I'm going to... Take a little break, get a, the other beer open. You better start drinking. Oh, God. Okay. 
Um, More drinking, less talking. Well, I mean, we're, get, we're eating after. We'll be fine. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. And we're, I mean, I've got the hollow leg. Oh, yeah. I told you. So you yeah. yeah. Camilla is here. Camilla's the logger says new. Hi, Camilla. The new new, the new new, that new new, and you know, trying to, we're trying to explain to Tim and Tamara last night in regards to Deirdre that Deirdre's down, Deirdre's hip, she's cool as fuck, she's a homie, and but she has I a hollow do, leg. But I, do. <laughs> I do have a hollow leg. Yeah, I don't know about all the other stuff, yeah. but I do have the hollow. I leg. think no, you're not like. I think, I think because of how poetic you are and your social media, I think there's a big misconception that you're this square and you are Gilmore not a girl. square. You're not, I'm Deirdre a is not girl. a square by any means. She is uh, like, she's, San, queen, she's, she's Sandy after, she's, San, she's Sandy when she oh, has Sandy. the leather pants and well, the leather. got the leather jacket Yeah, you guys can on. see her, the city Deirdre <laughs> right now. But this is Queen D in her full effect. I love that you just called her, fuck oh yes, I've started God. a revolution. If I, no one's gonna care about my wines. All people care about is that I started calling Deirdre Queen D. I am, uh, who am I? No one. I'm assuming, Other than someone well, who called Queen D, like Queen D. I'm yeah. no one. So, <laughs> I chose Patrick Swayze exactly. instead of her exactly. so, <laughs> dirty dancing. No one cares about your wines, dear no. Jack. Krista, nope. the all brow a collab is going to be Queen D. That's the name That's of it. That's an holy oh shit. Fuck no. Let's oh yes. Oh my yes. god. Okay. Yes. All right. I like that. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to get that other beer. Okay. No, dude, uh, that would be that something would be awesome. So yeah, we're, yeah, that would, that be, would hilarious. be hilarious. Yeah. I love that people call you. I did not tell him to call you Queen D. That I that really off funny. the record. Well, I, told I did you, not like Jacopo, <laughs> and he's spelling it K W E E S. Like Queen, Yas like Queen, Yas Queen, Yas Queen. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. Oh my God! Though so I looked that up, and <laughs> I'm gonna post. I can. I'm, not, I, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna post it. I'm gonna caption yeah. it when I post a picture oh, of right, this. I sent that yes. to you. I sent that to you. <laughs> the other definition was like an old lady past her prime. <laughs> Like, no, 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 no. That. That's like K-W-E-E-N. And it's like, mm, I don't know about that. Wow, this is so... Yeah, I, I wanted to like, where I drink it slow too, because yeah. it's actually it really is delicious. Yeah. yeah. And, and just trying to kind of see uh, where the wine element is coming in. I'm going from more, uh, from subtle to more intense mm -hmm. on these three. But I can taste it in the yeah. um, in the texture of the beer mm -hmm. and in the structure. Yeah, um, I definitely feel like there's that typical. You know, when a wine is well structured, it's got that little kernel in the center of it. And and I love when there's that. tannins in beer too. Like oh, we had a beer last night uh, that had apricot, and I'm like, where are these tannins coming from? And I forgot <laughs> the apricot. Yeah, and I. Um, so this one that we're opening is that same base, similar, I shouldn't say same, it was probably different ooh. barrel selection, but it's from Shady Oak in Santa Rosa, okay. yeah. and he does what's called the Cellar Wizard series, so he doesn't distribute those, um, those are pretty much just the, like, you know, you have to go through him to get them in your tap room or wherever, and uh, this one is with Pinot Noir grapes. Okay. I'm and ready. what is uh, the fermenting vessel? So this, everything is aged in oak. Okay. Um, Neutral? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, he'll do some stuff where, like, he's done, he's actually done, he'll age in large, in, um, standard 59 gallon, um, neutral oak. Okay. And then, uh, for, I think this one was two or three years old before he added the grapes. 
So he was three years in barrel and then two months, three months on the grapes. Wow, the nose is beautiful. It really is. Yeah. I guess we're going kind of up in intensity. Whereas yeah. we're going more in the wine direction. <laughs> exactly. This is your, this is a Krista. I was going to say, yeah. uh, me and what's been great is, um, well, Deirdre knows my palate very well, uh, mostly because I don't, a big part of our mentorship is, and, I, and I'll say this with Bradford and Quinn of Ordinaire, which you spent time with, is mm-hmm. tasting and talking and uh, I know probably on the outside, and especially, you know, I don't know if this occurs in beer too, but, you know, wine, uh, I think there is a, um, I think we're shifting, but I think it's perceived as a pretentious, you know, when you sit at a table right. with someone and they're, we're drinking and experiencing the wine, I, there's, I think people perceive it as a pretentious aspect, but I, that's how I, you know, I'm only going to be a great winemaker if I understand You what. have to put it out there you have to like like actually put the words out there not just even thinking because then you have to you're bouncing the ideas off with other people right obviously you find the audience that is going to be receptive to it you don't go to a sports bar and also we're not just drinking it again (laughs) but we're not also i think there's a misconception in regards to alcohol working in Mm -hmm. in this field and and fermentation that it's a party it's a a party all the time we're getting fucked up all I mean, the there, time, there's plenty of that too. But. No, I'm not gonna lie. I, there's times when you're there's a time and place to drink. You know, you want to you you, you drink let without thinking. Down. Let your hair down. Yeah. And you're not and there's and there's wines that you pour that you know what you're gonna be getting yourself with and you don't have to think about it. But I don't think people realize when you are sitting there tasting and talking, you you're enjoying that nuance of that living thing in that glass. You are sitting there having a conversation with quote unquote that person and that person is that wine. Oh, right. Exactly. You, and and yeah. that's what's happening when you're when we're you know enjoying the nose and talking about these nuance elements. So that's what makes it so beautiful. <laughs> That's going to sound corny, but I think yeah. I think to take it back to what we're talking about in regards to treating this as a living thing, and then I'm going to treat it as a living thing as I treat people and appreciate yeah. all and the elements, the take the time to appreciate and all the fucking hard work yeah. it yeah. took to get well, that like into said, that three, glass. Three years we of this beer has been in the barrel exactly. for three years, right. and, then he, yeah. and then he took a chance on that re-fermentation. He's like, right. exactly. It was already yeah. tasting great, and he's like, well, I hope it comes out good with these yeah. peanut grapes. He had done some really good great Re-fermentation stuff. is so... I, I think that's, <laughs> that's where we've yeah. been a theme but, that we talked about. Re-fermentation is really beautiful. There's some stuff you can't age out. There's some stuff you can't re-ferment out like acetobacter yeah. if it turns into vinegar it's it's vinegar i mean it's it's if it gets that far yeah, yeah. but i think that we uh, in our with trials yeah. with volatile acidity you know those sort of early stages of that um if you catch it in time and you do a re-fermentation right. it just it cuts like, it yeah it rewrites right. the the wine right um, i experienced that this year i had also, yeah like, perceptible like you know part how many parts per million like right, uh, right. In, in the beer world like a flemish red from Belgium, uh, it's actually stylistically you should have a low parts per million of acetic, of acetic yes, acid. Right, right. And, and like English style beers, you can have low levels diacetyl for that buttery. Like if you've been to England, you had yeah, the beers. Like, it's, yeah, it's got a little bit of that butterscotch kind of thing. I think for us, so we, I mean, I'm speaking, I'll speak for Deirdre and most of the my people inspire me. We're not doing any. Um, Scientific analysis. We don't know exactly yeah. partial medicine, but yeah. to your point in regards to VA, which is a, it for us, there is a, a wine is I feel beautiful if it has yeah. VA balance, yeah. and no, there is actually and a it, wine without yeah. VA. I think it 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 could be it could sing it could be you know, but a wine with that has that 
what is perceived mm-hmm. as a flaw, but it's not a. It's just like a person that has like a model. Most models are, their faces are not the stereotypical. There's some structure that is. It makes them unique. It makes them unique. It makes you want to look at them. It makes you want to look. And that is VA and VA and wine. In VA and wine, when it is in balance, it is a wine. Then becomes phenomenal. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it can. I mean, we see that in like old uh, Barolo, old Barbaresco. Um, there's a lot of VA in those wines uh, from northern Italy, and it is what makes those wines great. Right. Um, but it goes back to the idea of balance and um, and with, uh, with refining yeah. and, and refining your palate as a as a producer or a writer or a buyer, anybody involved in this world, refining that sensibility so that you understand what balance is. Uh. And I think that that's a really important, um, you know, almost like a Zen-like yeah. approach to to understanding that. And going back to tasting and being present when you're tasting and drinking. Mm-hmm. Right, and having, having yeah. a conversation, we'll have a conversation with and, the wine or right. beer or... Whatever it is well, you're drinking. Well, you know, on the subject of kind of, you know, you're sitting down with somebody and having, you know, sharing a bottle. Um, so intimate. That's the most well, intimate so, thing you could do. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is that in a, kind of like what I said earlier, was like in a world that you can control very little, um, being able to sit down and have a bottle of beer or wine is a affordable luxury, affordable escapism. Mm. And so I kind of wanted to talk mm-hmm. about the economics yeah. behind yeah. some of these um, beverages. Um, on when I picked up Deidre at Bart and came <laughs> over here, uh, we had a quick conversation about an experience I had because I knew I was going to talk to you guys about your um, cider work and your you know, co-ferments. Um, I was at a bar in Oakland, and I was speaking with the, the bartender, talking, you know, selling him um, cider, and. The company I work for is uh, a very approachable, very um, like affordable, but we like like the quality of our cider. And it, but we're not, we're definitely we we uh, on a sales pitch. I'll straight up say like we're not farmers. Like let's get that right out yeah. there. Like, we don't own the orchard. We're not <laughs> yeah. hand picking and crushing. Like, um, but I was talking to this bartender and a guy at the end of the bar butts in and kind of starts talking. He introduces himself as a cider maker. So I said, oh okay, like. I wanted to get to know him. I'm new to yeah. this industry. I'm getting to know everybody. And he asked where we source our juice. And I told him, yeah, you know, so we don't have our own orchards and, and we're using blends. As we get bigger, we're, we want to start doing more work with uh, single varieties or like more custom blends. But right now the juice we're getting is a blend from Washington. And we start talking about apple varieties and stuff. And he starts taking a shit all over our process, the apples we use, all this stuff. And so I basically just shut down. I was like, all right, later, and like uh-huh. ignored him until he left. And uh, I, I've had this guy's cider, and it's delicious. But the problem is he, his bottles are expensive by, our, by, I would say, by like a beer, uh, uh, the typical beer drinker, beer consumer standard. kind yeah. of. Um, and what I was telling Deidre in the car was that the the – Angry Orchard, Strongbow, Magners, Crispin drinker is going to have a really hard time with that uh, sticker shock mm-hmm. going to this guy's cider. 
So as rude as he was, he makes he made he makes great is cider. He farming. His, yeah, he's, he's yeah okay. he's like I mean it's yeah. a great operation. I, and I actually really respect the operation what and the doing, product. Yeah. He was a shithead at the bar. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, what I'm saying is that there needs to be range because if they don't have people like us, people like Golden State, people like some of the more approachable that they're you're not they're not necessarily farmers. They're not gonna get from Angry Orchard all the way to some of the really great ciders in right. Sebastopol like or in the area like uh, Tilted Shed or um, some of these other you really, really, you know, more high end, more boutique right. ciders. Um, there has to be both a price range and also kind of a style and ethos a range. Transition. Yeah. A transition. I I, 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 I I, I think it's um, I think when farmers start being valued in this country, then that shift would happen. Unfortunately, if that person is farming and doing the labor that it takes right. to make that. I think he has to. He's not. I mean, I'm sure he's not making a lot of money because I think no, there's not, yeah, like, I, 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 there's operation. a misconception when you are. And I, I know financially, especially in the natural wine world, quote unquote natural wine world, no one's making money. Right. And <laughs> yes, I can attest to that. No one is making money at all. And I and I and I and I, I think it's unfortunate because I'm agreeing with you. Unfortunately in America, you cannot have do the work that it takes to make wine that we make wine. Mm -hmm. And, and and not charge a certain at a certain yeah. and and and, 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 you, and, totally the old, and the old and yeah. the old world you can in the old yeah, world yeah. there are producers that in America are spending twenty dollars on a bottle and I would mm -hmm. gladly like for La Stulpa, I would gladly spend forty yeah. fucking dollars for yeah. her wine and the fact that I could get that for twenty dollars is insane to me right. here because right. I I value it at, at, and I agree with and that was another yeah. point we made in the car yeah. which was that okay so like this. Shady Oak beer we're drinking. Mm -hmm. This probably sells. I don't know. I think he's selling it for like twenty two bucks, twenty twenty two bucks, and this is really delicious. Yeah, and like, I would. And I would spend forty dollars for it. Three, oh, totally. And, you know, and, yeah. and three yeah. years in the barrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he yeah. is a small Time. operation. It's, yeah, is a one man operation in Santa Rosa, and yeah. So it's not the producers. I think it's. I, it's unfortunate because I think it's a lot of the fr like, the frustration yeah. goes to producer and like. And there's a lot of misconceptions in regards to like natural wine is expensive. Okay, well, what do you, you're okay, said person who's also probably going to Whole Foods and paying for their organic fruit. What is the difference uh, between that yeah. $5 head of kale, $10 head of kale, then, and also what it took for that person to make that wine yeah. or that cider? And in that, and this all goes back into seeing wine as an agricultural product that yes. there is someone that. in the yeah. farm doing yeah. that. And That's so right. this starts from, Re-educating people, understanding that these this is food, this is agricultural product, and thus you're going to value it the way you're going to yeah. value that fucking head of kale that you have no problem paying for, but you have an issue paying thirty dollars for for a bottle of wine that there's someone who took a risk from pruning and then get to just to get the fucking fruit at the end of harvest and then survive fermentation right. and then get into a bottle. Well, and and you make it one time a year. And one time, that's yeah. it. You know, I mean. Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little yeah, like, no, it's and it's okay, not a talk on you and that, but I can understand. I, I yeah. sorry, but, yeah, but this, yeah. I mean, this is another issue that we talk about all the time. It, this this whole idea of wine as an agricultural product, uh, you know, or wine as it's farming. farming, wine as farming, um, and and one of the things to even further distill that is that I think that people don't understand farmers also. Uh, they don't understand perennial 
farming. So you talk about the head of kale, uh-huh. you know, that's an annual, right. you know, and we think of farmers as vegetable farmers, uh, grain farmers. Um, we do, we do think of them as fruit, you know, like apples uh-huh. and pears uh-huh. and that kind of thing. But I, I don't think that most consumers think of trees as a perennial plant that you are caring for. And they definitely don't think of vines uh-huh. uh, or and, and I and I noticed this with you know good friends of mine who are vegetable farmers, there. There is this disconnect about how we spend our days, yeah. and it's it's almost like people feel like we. Um, it's that party all the time thing. Yeah, yeah. we're, yeah. we're yeah. sitting, thing. we're eating, we work during harvest, and that's but it. That's it. The vines take care of themselves. They, we develop a relationship with each fucking vine <laughs> seriously uh, to quote krista <laughs> tell him d tell him tell d. Queen d. <laughs> yeah i ain't no square <laughs> um, i can drop the f-bomb when i want um, this is not npr <laughs> yes <laughs> but you know there there is not the and i guess i you know both krista and i and camilla and caleb and everybody you know who's part of our um you know, sort of burgeoning group in Vermont, you know, we want to share with people what it means to be a perennial farmer. And it is different than an annual vegetable farmer who gets a restart uh. every year or gets a restart several times in one season. We grow vegetables also. You know, we you have lose a vine. You have four years for you that to come back. That's it. You know, it's, uh, yeah, you have a bad pruning job. You're not getting it loans takes you four that years take consideration. Re- four, like once you plant and you have to wait four years, so you have yeah. to even ferment anything. There are so yeah, much disrespect to I know. To. I know. And it, it's interesting. We were going to work on a project with a good friend of ours in France, which we did end up doing an unexpected project. But when we were thinking about this particular project, it um, was going to require buying a piece of land and planting some vines here in the States. And in Burgundy, the loans, to your point, Mm -hmm. are four years. Right. Because they know, as a wine producer, you're not going to make anything back until four years. Yeah, that's not right? like that here. Right, yeah, exactly. We, we talked I'm, to... I'm dealing with it right now with a oh. barrel age. I'm doing an Indiegogo. Yeah. I haven't oh, made the announcement yeah, yeah. on my podcast. Oh, yet, but cool. It's, but it's because I, I, it's, it would be damn near impossible to get um, loans. And, like, they want to see, see feasibility, first of all, right yeah. away. And I have, don't have... I can't... Really, I have nothing to show at the moment, yeah. and they want to see money coming back right away. Exactly, and it's like, well, this takes time. <laughs> it like, takes you know, time. So ridiculous. It takes time. And when we approached the the same bank, the French bank here in the states, the American, uh, the American of it, yeah. version of it, and they're like, "No way, Jose! No, no. You know, we you're going to have to start repaying on this loan, you know, immediately." immediately. And I had the same problem. I applied for a grant several years ago, um, thinking that that could be helpful. Uh, you know, a big um, working lands grant in Vermont, and they did not understand the four-year paradigm. Yeah, they're like, "Well, this is kind of interesting, but have you done your research? Your feasibility My, studies? Your feasibility yeah. study?" I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm clearly barking up the wrong tree yeah. here." Um, so it's something that I feel really strongly about, and mm-hmm. I know Krista does too. Uh, that we need to keep having this conversation mm-hmm. about what it means to take care of these kinds of plants so I know and the economic feasibility yeah. of that. And I know that producers, 
we want I I I, I know I mean, I am going to speak that there are producers especially new world producers who want to be like old world producers that you could have to know or want like you can be accessible no one yeah. is out there working their ass off to be at this level that you're on right, that you exactly. can't have you can't be no one wants to be charging have their wines on a shelf for 40 50 dollars and yeah. they right, want to be right. to have have access but it's not our fault yeah their fault Deirdre's fault and that that's what that the wines are costing that much because there's a lack of respect especially in the new world for in regards farmers. to farmers right. i don't that's, yeah i don't think cost. i don't think there's any i don't i didn't want to imply the blame, if that's what, is what you want to call it, should go to the producers or the farmers. I guess what I'm getting to is how do we address the, the kind of economic disparity? Like, we're, we're in Oakland. This conversation, and I keep on having it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we're in Oakland, and we're in a place where, you know, some of the best uh, spots to drink are in, like, pretty industrial areas. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there's... I guess I'm. I guess I'm trying to just figure that. I'm trying to figure out like how do you make this like beautiful, nuanced product, but you make it accessible to people from various economic backgrounds. I think we're all trying to figure that out. I know I, I had a conversation with Martha Stuman, who we're going to be visiting later. That's one of her biggest goals, and I'll speak for myself. That is, in a way, why you know I why I can I. I it's, it's sad that I cannot be producing in California, but it also is not sad because I get to produce in Vermont, but I'm still faced economically. I mean, granted, that's why I, with apples and taking advantage of that, that is, you know, we, Deirdre and I did a collaboration mm-hmm. of Perry. There's ways that we get to ferment without that financial a burden. Burden. burden right, um, right. There's a reason why I'm not in California because I want an agency in some way. I want to be able to have access to land, which is not going to happen it's here. Not happen and, here yeah. and there's a lot of producers here that, that are, uh, are good friends that who have no choice but to have their wine just where they can have a roof over their own head and they're yeah. not balling out and they would want to have their wine successful. They can't, they on the other end couldn't be able to afford their own wine if they right. wanted to, which right. is bizarre, which is bizarre, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, the, I think it's a want that a lot of producers, especially now, I'll speak for natural wine. Want they? We want that. We want our wines to be financially accessible. Right, and, and right. I think I think it's a question of volume. Actually, yeah. I mean it's that's always, the normal uh, paradigm of, you know, if you if you can create enough of it, you know, the price can drop yeah. down, and you can still meet your financial goals. And then there's a line needs. that you get to, the, but there's a thin line because if you. Pro- Get to go a level, over this production, go this production level, then, then, you're, then you have a product. Then, that, then right. you have a product. So there's a fine right. line to tune in regards to what you could have something. What, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of volume, can you can you farm at the or right. work with a farmer who is working in the way that you desire? Uh, and will there be a compromise? And I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's about scale. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, we yeah. have, yeah. we have friends who make, uh, beautiful natural wines in Austria, Meinklong. They also make a great beer, mm-hmm. um, with ancient grains and they, you know, they have a thousand acres and they're a, f- a fully diversified biodynamic farm, mm. which is one of the things that I think is so impressive about them. They have cattle, they have fruit, they have vegetables. Their fruits and vegetables go to market uh, in Vienna. They have wine, um, flowers. Uh, so they've got a diversified economic polyculture. Right. They are a living example of a, an 1,000-acre farm, which is 
that's a lot of land. Yeah, you know, and obviously when we, we talk about middle of America and we talk about California, there are farms that are much bigger than that. You were just at the Bev Expo. How yeah. big were those vineyards? A hundred acres? acres. And I, yeah. say, I think 10 acres. Like, I've managed 10 acres lot, now. And I'm like, holy acres shit. Yeah. To farm a hundred acres of vines is a lot. And that's a number one excuse is that, well, we can't, I mean, we can't, this is all this acreage. And, but yet there's, to your point, but how there's do Michael. You, yeah. Right. How do you figure out change. what the, what the, that sweet spot is? Right. For everybody to make a living, because, you know, we're in this to make a living, not a killing. Yeah. You know, that's the difference. That's the difference yeah. But our economic system is set up for people to make a killing. Right. So right. the benefits and the, like the, you know, exactly, yeah. exactly. So and the way that the business community works. So how do we it's a very complex uh, algorithm of right. how we uh, shift that dialogue and that paradigm into more polyculture within a business operation. Um, and it's not, it, and until yeah. farmers are respected in the new world, it's, I, I, we have a long way to go to answer your question. My right. theory is that we're not to, going to, to be able to bring, we're, to, yeah. to, to be able to, for people, producers to be able to have a price tag that is accessible is, but it goes against the systemic issues of America right. and that's not going right. to happen. They don't right. want that to be accessible. Right. They don't right. want right. us to not have food desert. They don't want people to be empowered to learn how to farm themselves. Right. And just because it's right. going to go against everything that this country is built on. Yeah, so it's all about money at the end of so the day. So we have a, a we're probably going to be dead and gone until that happens. But the only thing that matters is that there are people like Deirdre and all the producers at Br- that are pouring up Brumaire who don't give a fuck and by any means necessary are farming and doing that to do even if they're not being respected. Right. Right. And they're <laughs> at that first stage of that conversion. Especially you know? in the new world. I and mean, because yeah. in, in Europe, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, but I'm just so proud for all the producers are the Martha Stevens. The Deirdre Heakins, the Hank, the, the Hank Beckwires, <laughs> Hank Beckwires for luck, that yeah. are that are the true vineyards out here in America, like, working against all odds, working against a system that is not in favor. Yeah, yeah. And there is this is not about you guys. Yeah, I mean, all, yeah, no, yeah. All, yeah. There's yeah, no. All, doing... Yeah, all these California producers need to be respected because they're they don't there is right. an agency here and they're doing it and they're not making any money. Right, and and. You know, I keep thinking about as we're having this conversation and the food side of this conversation, you know, Dan Barber of Blue Hill and Stone Barns, he taught, you know, a lot of people have been critical about what it costs to go have a meal at Blue Hill, either in the city or at the the quote unquote country estate, mm-hmm. Stone Barns. And, you know, he is unapologetic about it um, to a certain extent because he said, you know what? My role at this stage of the game is to educate mm. people on the true cost of what it is to farm. I mean, they buy all their, for both the, the restaurant in the city and the restaurant at the farm, they buy everything from the farm. And it's grown organically, and, you know, a lot of time and care is spent into producing the prime materials. And, you know, he's like, this is the true cost, and I am passing that true cost right. off to the end diner, the customer. But, and yes, that is, you know, a only a certain segment of the population can go eat at these two restaurants. But this is the reality. And let's have the conversation. Get mad. Yeah, that right. this exactly. Is, that, exactly. You know, I'm doing my job if you're getting mad. Right. Exactly. You know, and I really appreciate that. I do too. I, get, I, I see what you're saying on that. I just, um, 
I'm trying to figure out as as somebody you know who lives here and and, and be I want to be part of like this community and I want mm-hmm. to feel everybody it, it want to be inclusive and right I, and so right. this is Especially that struggle in a, right. in a, in a California well, district, in a country where gentrification is such a problem and you want to be you well, being conscious of that and knowing and that I'm very yeah. sensitive about that because yeah. I, I want to open something in yeah. Oakland but I'm like but you want okay, to be a, the people in the community to have access right. to access yeah, well, if, yeah. I out, if I outprice them if right. I, you walk, go walk down San Pablo and you can and, and let's have this conversation about um, respecting farmers and they're just trying to get by absolutely. right they're just and it's really hard to have that table, conversation right. it is hard yeah. you're absolutely, yeah, absolutely right, right. So. I agree. this is I a agree. rare it's a rarefied conversation yeah. for sure yeah. um and i think i mean all we can do i was just having a a conversation with another friend of ours who's a producer uh in um the uh niagara es- and escarpment um where he's trying to work on a, a project um uh, Zach Klug, uh, that is exactly to the point that we're talking about, where he can offer a wine that's for his local community, mm-hmm. which right. is very depressed. You know, there yeah. there is not a lot of expendable income mm-hmm. in this community, and he thinks he's found a way to do that with um, another farmer that he's working right. with, and I think that that's that's the key: trying to find these collaborations in which we can do something like that. And maybe your, you know, the price structure of, of your quote unquote product line is you've got something that is pays for the other things. And that is for everybody. And then you've got, you know, other things that take a lot of time and intention. And, Mm -hmm. but of course you don't want to skimp on your, your quality on, the thing that you want to produce for everybody because everybody deserves the same right um the same bottle because especially know? in a capitalist country something that's yeah. cheaper is then assumed as is then devalued from face value well it's that's devalued. a whole yeah, other issue it's cheap, if, then, you, I mean, if yes. it's not if it's yeah. affordable that means it's crappy that's you know, right. You know that's that's right. Which is so that's fucked right. up in this and, culture. And <laughs> with you yeah that's you know what cider <laughs> I drink a ton of and it's very nicely priced is the Claus Normand Cider, it's like a French cider. It's yeah. at Whole Foods, six ninety nine yeah. for seven fifty mil. Like, pe- there are people who would not reach yeah. for that because they would assume that it was crappy. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, what it's our right. right, 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 exactly. But you know, that's also, huh? You make an interesting um, argument, and that is that it is also the responsibility of large businesses like Whole Foods to to educate, to educate but to also bring. So my real cost, you know, or my my cost from the seller door to my wholesalers, my cost then goes up 50% to my wholesaler. And then that's another another 50% to the retailer. Mm -hmm. And then they have to mark it up. This is why breweries are all selling direct to consumer now. Oh, that's That's, I mean, that's already been a whole other conversation. And I I mean, my goal is to open up. One of my mentors advised that. I mean, my my mentor's in the beer industry, uh, Dave Broderick. He... That's basically I'm going to capitalize that as much as possible yeah. in Vermont. Right, yeah. right. And, and they I, and Deirdre yeah. and Caleb do that, at, you know, with their tavernas, and that's and people will if, if you're and people you know in the Hill Farmstead, um, mm-hmm. if you have something that is appreciated, and people do the people who will drive yeah. literally yeah. hours to get to this Mount Hunger, this yeah. little mountain, <laughs> because they value that, and then that's and they're appreciating the hard fucking work that Deirdre and Caleb what they yeah. have built and the Sean Hills. 
and you know Alchemist Brewing exactly there's these and like Vermont is cool and really special in that in regards to community talk about community and uh, as a state and empowering you know it's a farming community empowering these producers from it be from butter to cheese to wine right to facilitate a space that knowing that there's Basically, if we're gonna if you are going to farm, we're gonna make sure that you make some kind of money. And it's not yeah. a lot, right? Well, so, yeah, and you know, going back to the responsibility of these larger organizations, mm-hmm. you know, so they're huh, in New York alone, where the markups are significant compared to what you know we get at the cellar door, but that's based on their overhead. I don't right. begrudge them that because they've got to pay. Just their rent yeah. alone is insane. I mean, in the little town of Woodstock, Vermont, where we had our restaurant, the rents are insane for a small village that is based on uh, sporadic tourism. You know, apartment there almost cost tour- like, you, like apartment is little. Believe it or not, in that little yeah. village, a one bedroom be fifteen hundred if you could believe that in Vermont. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's less than I'm paying now here with five years rent control. I'll that's take true. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, right. Yeah, but, but, but for what that is, a little, that a little is, area, a little it, town. Yeah. A little area. And like it's, you know, snowed so in half exactly. the time. <laughs> it, goes, it goes back to, you know, the big conglomerates, the big, the, the people controlling the money, you know, taking the most markup that they can. Yeah. You know, so that's actually, if Whole Foods is selling that beer for $6.99, that means, excuse me, cider. That means they're not taking the quote unquote full markup yeah. that would be expected in a small boutique shop, yeah. wine shop. Um, you know, I know actually there's a guy at the Whole Foods on the Upper West Side in New York who is passionate about this issue and about natural wine. And he is on the floor every day talking to people as they come through his wine section. And he's not gouging the customer, mm-hmm. he's trying to pay. You know, he's taking a lower, that lower cut. Yeah. But all of the wines in that particular store are, you know, of a really great quality and with great intention. So it also comes down to those people, the people who are selling at the end, you know, who, you know, they're not, those businesses are not for the people. They end up being for the shareholder. And that's another issue. You know, I mean, we want to talk about. That's, that's, you know, that's going to be a whole other podcast. That's a whole other so, podcast um, that we could get yeah. into. But, gonna, but, but clearly. But I hope we is, came around to like, yeah. Yeah. we're all in the, we, I think we, we all have the same frustration. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. um, there's only so much we can do. And all we can do is further educate, I think, just in this conversation, this podcast. Right. We're just have this conversation, beginning. this yeah. beginning of it. And I think that is a cool thing that's happening in regards what happened in the craft beer industry. And then thus, I think it was, I feel as a catalyst was happening now in the new world of natural wine is that we're now having this conversation in regards to farming and accessibility. On that note, I'm going to get the last beer. And when we come oh, back, goody. I just want to talk about um, mentorship and some of the stuff you guys have, you know, what you're doing um, now, what <laughs> yeah. you've done, uh, who, who your mentors were. So. Okay. That's been awesome. Oh, Thank you. This I is know. cool. I, like is I realize, cool. I forget how passionate I am about certain things. For better or for worse. <laughs> oh, only for better. Only for better. No, I was yeah. like, I go and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be calm today. I'm not gonna be triggered in any way. <laughs> but um, it's good. I mean, it's how. I mean, I have to tell you guys, we. Uh, since you guys left for your trip. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've had a couple of interesting things where it's been very clear to me how fortunate we are to be able to have these discussions. They're kind of rarefied um, discussions because the not everybody in this industry is having these, these conversations. These conversations. A lot of people don't care, <laughs> and um, they're not motivated to um, to challenge themselves I think in terms of this. And it was really sh actually kind of shocking to me. Oh no! Because I felt like I felt like we were getting somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, based on the conversations we have been having. I think that we need to. Uh, I think we forget. Um, we could. I mean, it's just like anything else. Like these are. I mean, humans in general yeah. don't talk about. They <laughs> don't you talk know, about anything. anything. I mean, no. I like. There's these conversations are not having happening all the time. I mean, I mean that. I mean, right. we could see that in regards to our political state in this country, in regards to which I think uh, is a reflection yes, of what is. people yeah. care about. Yeah. Um, and I think that society reflects where people are. Thus, it's going to exist even in our little in right. our community, unfortunately. Right. Uh, but I but there's little movements like the fact that Bremer's in the third year is no, really it's beautiful. There, there's it's, something and it's happening, good, and which like, is why I have felt like there is stuff happening. Yeah. But then when you kind of are thrust into a larger quote unquote real world and you're like, oh, huh. <laughs> Which I did in okay. Washington DC. I'm depressed for twenty four hours. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You we have a little I mean, I love our little bubble, but it then is you a bubble. but then you're reminded that it is a bubble. <laughs> but then you're also reminded how much work there exactly needs to be. Exactly. Um, and how important that work is. I hate being conscious. I hate Right. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, I I truly wow. do. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, why do I have to be so woke? Now I'm depressed. <laughs> I was hoping we could have gone this whole day without, without hearing that. Without the woke. Uh, so this beer is from uh, Sour Cellars. It's a brewery in Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, it's called Enthusamuzzy. I used to live out there. It's uh, oak barrel-aged golden. They call uh, calls it cereal wine. He talks into the conversation about how, for him, like again, that feeling connected more to the wine industry than to the beer industry and the way yeah. his, he manages his barrel. So... He uses the term uh, cereal wine. So oak barrel-aged golden cereal wine re-fermented with tinta cow and Alicante Boucher wine grapes. Ooh. 6.4%. Cool I love the state. Like, I love that it's, we're coming full circle in regards to re-fermentation, which, I, like I said, yes. for this yeah. year, I mean, exactly. Deirdre. Yeah. It's really cool you chose yeah. these. Uh, Especially re-fermentation. Wine, yeah. beers today. Yeah. 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 Carefully selected. Very. <laughs> so I'm actually, he has a little bit. I'm going to read on um, cereal wine. It says, we feel this is the best term to describe what is in this bottle. Our process starts like a typical beer. We extract sugars from grain and boil sweet water with hops. Once it leaves the kettle, the process begins to differ. In the winter, we air cool for spontaneous fermentation. In the summer, we force chill at, at, and add various yeast and bacteria strains for mixed fermentation. Fermentation takes place in oak, uh, wine, or spirit barrels. And lasts for a year at a minimum. The oak barrel and lactic acid produced by the bacteria gives it a vinous character similar to wine. We like to think our beers as sparkling wines made from grain sugars huh. rather than mm -hmm. grape sugars. Mm -hmm. I love that That's transparency beautiful. too. It's beautiful. That, that is, is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, he's uh, his name's Brian Doty. Um, what's funny is Shady Oak is Steve Doty. 
And they found they were on a message board, uh, like a Facebook beer group, and they got connected. And they're like, "Oh, I heard you were making stuff. Like, oh, maybe we're cousins." And they actually found out they are cousins. Oh my god! And Holy they're shit! Both have, like, That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, sour breweries on opposite sides of the state. That is so Whoa, awesome. Oh, that yeah, is so, really cool. Yeah. I really do think that you know, um, the wine world is going through the transition in regards to, um, <clears throat> quote unquote, natural wine. Uh, being well, the the new world, America under, now. So the new, like the the new world, America being introduced to quote unquote natural wines, um, even though they existed forever. Yeah. This is not new, but no. um, and where craft craft beer is and uh, going through quote unquote, I think the third one well, would say the third way, like argue the third, third wave, wave. Some, and yeah. where their craft beer is going through their third wave and where quote unquote natural wine is in America, we are intersecting. And I think we're on the precipice Absolutely. of something really fucking beautiful. Yeah. And we're now we've inspired where craft beer, I think is a big part of the, it was a catalyst for what's happening. Not wine in regards to training the American palate, the foodie culture and craft beer, I think, is why now the new America is now embracing Notch wine because they now understand acidity and well, that acidity yeah. should not be feared. And also, Brett is something that is a natural yeah. yeast and being right. educated what Brett is. And Brett has always existed in Syrah. And, uh, although, you know? <laughs> although at our wine tasting event last night, I had people come up to me like, Hey, so you're gonna buy some Brett barrels off me because I can't like. They don't want to work with these, these are natural wine producers. They're like, I yeah, I gotta get rid of them. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a, a whole, whole different conversation. conversation. We're not like, we both look at each other, yeah, and yeah. there are people who I I mean, it's something if bread is occurring in your vineyard or your in your, bar, cellar, in your cellar, right. then you I think you need to embrace it and learn. Then now that's learn a new how to challenge. Use that that's gentle your gentle hand. Yeah, to right. the that's right. now your challenge exactly. as a winemaker. Exactly. And I think that if you're wanting to get rid of something that is there, I. Talk about manipulation. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> having a lighter, heavy hand. Right. I think you need to learn how to. I feel this work is a, with it. work with it and yeah. honor what is in your environment instead of trying to. But anyway, I just think that right, we're there's no stasis. There's, exactly. Yeah. But I think that we're in a very, very. There is a beautiful marriage that is going to be very American um, mm -hmm. in regards to our story and fermentations that is happening between the uh, between craft beer and and you know. American Solera, Jester King, the Guard. Yeah. Uh, we are, so we're creating yeah. our, you know, all influenced by Cantillon. And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that we, now those producers, brewers, we are in with the marriage and them appreciating quote unquote a natural wine world and what, and what we're doing. We're, we are creating something very American right now. Yeah. I mean, well, our, like the younger generations, yeah. you know, so like your generation and below you, uh, have embraced a fermentation culture, exactly. whether that's fermented food, right. fermented beer, wine, so all of these things. Coffee and coffee. Yeah. And the flavor profile. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. It's the gateway. Yeah, you exactly. Know, to what we're doing and all of our colleagues are, are doing and trying to do. And, I don't know. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting... Because it, it just boils down to, like you said, America's embracing fermentation. And um, in regards to treating us food, I think we're, we're getting to a point when you... I think we're getting to a point it's, it's long. It may be... may not never tasted anything like that before, but just bringing it down to, like, it is nourishing, it is feeding me, and it doesn't have chemicals. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Right. I, it's I, about I, survival. I, it's about survival. Yeah. I just want to eat, and I don't care if it's obscure and it tasted before, but I'm going to embrace it because it is food and it's fermented. 
and without anything else chemically involved. Well, it's a it's a return to old ways, um, old yeah. exactly. ways and old flavor profiles. I mean, when we started our restaurant in the late 90s, um, what people were crazy about were, was imported, everything imported. Right. The farther away it came from, the better. That was like the hip, cool thing. Mm-hmm. There was no farm to table. There was no uh, CSA that mm. didn't even exist at that time. Uh, maybe out here in California, but on the East Coast at that time it didn't. And this evolution towards not only, you know, embracing local and uh, know where your food is grown. We want to really encourage the dialogue of know where your wine is grown, mm-hmm. how it's grown, where it comes from, who the people are. Um, you know, we've got this return to wine as food, beer as food, fermented food as food, yeah. um, which are the, all these old ways of how people used to eat. And yeah, beer's not new in regards yeah. to fermentation, in regards yeah. to food. When you couldn't drink water, you learned yeah. how to, what, were you, you, drank, you were drinking well, beer. Beer and cider. Beer and, <laughs> and cider. cider. You had to drink that to sustain. Yeah. to get liquid. Exactly. Yeah. And I think people forget that and they were energy they provided energy for the farmer exactly uh, or the factory worker right Um, well that's what the session beer i mean up until what the late 90s 80s that you were allowed to have a session beer in 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 england Mm -hmm. because it's sustaining you this is 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 fermentation right (laughs) right they say that the uh the slaves that built the pyramids in Egypt were paid in beer. beer. Yeah, that's yes. right. That's because right. it was, uh, you know, caloric. It mm-hmm. was it has nutrition. Exactly. It, it, you know. Right. Yeah. So it's not Those microbes for your gut do wonders. And that happens only through yeah, fermentation. It's like kombucha, yogurt, exactly. beer, sauerkraut. So, exactly. The, I mean, it's all the same. And they produce the same... Um, Elements, you exactly. know, you talked about lactobacillus and those kinds of things. They've those actually are, tied mood and like how you're feeling to your gut biome, like what bacteria is mm, actually yes, in. Yes, I was listening so, to that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of information. When you're there. hangry, yeah. you really are hangry. Yeah. That is, it's a real it's thing. A real it's thing. a real yeah. thing. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> you so. cannot, you don't, you don't have to make any excuses. You, when you're mad, yeah. when you're, it's a real, real thing. You're, you yeah. are, your life is based around your gut. And so you need to keep your gut. Yeah. yeah. That's why I drink kombucha. I actually mm-hmm. make kombucha once in a while too. So. Oh, cool. You I've got a SCOBY in the fridge. Excellent. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, before we wrap up, I did want to talk a little bit about mentorship. And um, oh, right. yeah. so you talked about um, some of your, uh, one of your early, uh, uh, you know, mentors. Like, yeah. who who else would you like to maybe kind of talk about? Where what were your influences? Yeah. So, um, well, definitely Bruno, um, one of my primaries. Uh, a, a another good friend and gentleman named uh, Emmanuel Guillaume of Domingo Brew in Southern Burgundy. Um, Elisabetta Foradori uh, from Northern Italy. I'm seeing uh, a pattern here. Yeah. On <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly Elena Pantaleone from La Stoppa. Um, uh, oh gosh, I'm I'm having a blank at the moment. But There's some angry uh, Italian man screaming. You're like, you yeah, forgot I know, me. I know. It's actually an angry Italian woman. <laughs> <laughs> actually, she's not angry. Uh, Dora Dora Forzoni from uh, Montepulciano um, uh, Sanguinetto. Uh, she is amazing. Um, why am I totally? Uh, 
forgetting this. Uh, I'm going to come back to it because she's very important to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it must be the third beer, third beer. Uh, <laughs> despite my hollow leg. Um, and uh, Randall Graham, actually, here in California. Um, Bonnie Doon. Bonnie Doon. He was... He, he and I connected uh, very early on uh, when his book came out, um, Been Doing So Long, and he came to our place to do a, we did a dinner and a book um, thing with him, and I had told him about our project, and he was very excited. <laughs> when he arrived, uh, it was February 28th, we had had a huge snowstorm, just like we just had. We had all of his white and sparkling wines out in the snow. <laughs> and the beginning of the event was supposed to be him doing a reading around a bonfire off of our terrace. And we were going to do, he makes a groggy, kind of, I mean, he makes so many different things. He makes a groggy kind of thing. We were going to do a heated a warmed grog and a little appetizer and do the reading around the bonfire. And he had on a pea coat and a pair of clogs. <laughs> and he was fascinated that his wine was in snow. This was something he'd never seen. Especially as a Californian, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, he got cold really quickly. So yeah. he was like, can we actually maybe do the reading inside? But what he really wanted to talk about was not his book, but he was absolutely... Like, okay, how are you going to plant this vineyard? And and have you thought about doing this? And what about this crazy-ass, you know, native varietal? Have you thought about <laughs> doing this? And you could do, oh, my God, you know, one of the most haunting uh, distilled beverages I've ever had is something made from, you know, Norton grapes. What about planting Norton and doing um, this sort of grappa-esque thing? So he was super excited, and that was um, very, you know, confirming, reconfirming. Um, and exciting. So, uh, and, and certainly the work that he's done in his experimental vineyard has been very inspiring for me. Um, Do I'm not, these people inspire you to, to kind of reach out to the, the you know, up and coming young winemakers? Like, to, did this instill uh, something in you to. Yeah, and I mean, I think it that goes back to Caleb and I had an opportunity very early on uh, to live and work in Italy. And we were there for non-food-related reasons, uh, but it is the experience that turned us on to food and wine. And you know, my feeling is all these people that I am mentioning, and there are there are countless others who may not have been quite as involved as say Bruno or Manu, um, or um, some of these other people, but uh, they've affected me in some way, or they have participated in the project in some way, and. Because of what they've done for me, I very much want to pass that on because I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it hadn't been for those people and, um, you know, their own work being inspiring. So it's felt as it's felt that it's a very important piece to um, connect with other people starting on that same journey and um, share in that journey and in the in the learning process. Krista, do you want to talk about what it's meant for you to be like um, mentored by Queen D? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, it was what two almost well three years ago that I tasted Ligaru for the first time. I bought is the bottle that I bought that night. Oh my that god, day. that one, and it's wow. my fa one of my it is my favorite wines. One of my favorite wines. It's funny because I was just asked a question in a recent interview. What are your what's your favorite wine? Um, mm -hmm. 
it hit me. I had I bought a bottle, bought a bottle. Oh, I did buy, but it was just like it. So you stole it? No, no, no. I actually no. I wrote wrote her a check, but I was like, but what I what I what she charges me for wine is is ridiculous. (laughs) I actually I, I I was. I drafted and actually still have a draft. I was drafting her a message that was, I uh, had a friend over and she had never tasted uh, wine from Vermont, let alone knowing that she was going to be drinking the wine of Deirdre and Caleb (laughs) Barber. Um, And I bought a bottle of um, Remix, which is, on, coincidentally, is a, a, collaboration. a, a collaboration from her and her and mentor. One of my new, mentors, yeah, yeah. And then I, Luguru, and I was so I stopped by at the time I was living down the street from Deirdre and Caleb, and I stopped by and, and got these bottles. And I had a moment that it was like oh, this is fucking crazy. I I I get to just get a bottle from Deirdre and Caleb and drive home. And the bottle that I had that I was introduced to some of this is the first bottle that I bought of Deirdre and Caleb's and it I didn't realize that. And it it, 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 it it was in that moment like this is this is fucking ins- what is my life? It's right. insane <laughs> that I I I could just drive down the street and get a bottle from Deirdre, the first one that you know, and, and it, my life was when we had this interview, our first in podcast interview with two years ago, three years ago, um, my life was I, my life was never been the same because of Deirdre and Caleb. Um, I could cry right now, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't start. <laughs> I know. I'll start, and then Tim's gonna start, and then Camilla's gonna start, um, and <laughs> uh, they, you know, like when someone says like you changed my life, like they changed my life. I'm oh, pouring. There she I'm, goes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like I'm pouring at Brumaire tomorrow. Like yeah. that is. That's huge. Yeah. It is huge. It is huge. I get to like the fact that I like literally have, I I have a seat at the table with people who have literally changed my life, and I'm somehow considered uh, like worthy a, a of that. The, the contemporary, contemporary, of, yeah. contemporary of people who have like I it's it I. It's a very lonely thing that I've been experiencing lately, yeah. but it's we've had that. <laughs> but conversation. it's 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 something that I you know I received a lot of text messages the last three days, and people tell me to embrace what's happening, and it's I, it's bigger than me, and I know that, um, and I I mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> I don't know what to say. Are you gonna pass it on when you get? Um, are you gonna start uh, mentoring people when the time comes? I don't think I'm. At, I'm still. I, can I, I just want to still enjoy, enjoy being a mentee before I, oh, and I'm not ready to no, be a mentor. And no, no. I'm not ready to be a mentor either to them. Be, it's just kind of worked out that way. Yeah. That's what I, and that's what I'm getting at yeah, is that yeah, whether I, you think about it or not, it's like... Anything, I'm just proud that I um, I look the way that I am. I can't deny who I am as a human being, um, being a woman, being a woman of color. Uh, being a queer woman of color, these are things that I'm not going to ignore and not going to, I cannot not under, not embrace the fact that I now, you know, I, someone could look at me and see what I'm doing and say, I could do that too. Yeah. I don't want to be, a, I, not necessarily I don't want to be a mentor, but the only thing I'm really happy about is that I, I look like who I am. I am who I am. And I, and that will hopefully give some inspiration. That's right. Absolutely. Especially in America, in regards to agency, especially being a person of color, having, in regards to farming, when you don't have many examples because you've been oppressed and not have to have access to that and that, and that it may not look the way you thought that, how that you could have access to that and like, and see my journey and my story and how I was able 
that you know amongst privileges that not, some people may not have that have access the accessibility that I have had to be able to go to ordinary and drink wine that's allowing me mm -hmm. to meet people like I understand that that many people don't have the opportunity but to just to show them that that is possible that you can be a person of color farming and make and fermenting and empowering yourself because there's nothing more empowering than growing your own food I think that's a good note to finish on. yeah <laughs> thank yeah. you guys for coming thank and, you uh, looking forward to tasting everything tomorrow at Brumaire <laughs> and yeah, so we got to start working on our Queen D. <laughs> we're really going to do. So the next really? podcast that we do, like, that. four years from now, like, okay, yeah. how everyone's yeah. drinking Queen D. Oh, my that God. That sounds very sexual. I, like I know. Well, well, of course you do. Earlier she said German grinder, and I did not laugh. So. I'll show you a German grinder. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. <laughs>